Welcome to We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And this is episode 31 of our bi-weekly or semi-weekly, both mean the same thing, journey into all of the times in history when we effed up. So what are we talking about this week, Cody? Uh, we're dipping our toes for the first time into video game history. Ooh, video game history. Yeah, something that we both uh, partake in of the video games. Oh, I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess we both do partake in history, but also, yes, video games. Yes. Most recently, I have been enjoying the 2018 version of God of War. I've been replaying through all the Dragon Age games. Yeah. Is it disappointing considering they haven't remastered it? No. Origins still held up for a 14-year-old game. Two, I mean, two has always been the weaker, the weakest of the three. But, I mean, it wasn't terrible. So. I still need to make, make it through Mass Effect 2. <laughs> Mass Effect 2 was the greatest game ever made. I know. I know that you always say that, but I I think it's... Uh, for me, a video game gets to be too much if there are too many options to do at one time. I like to use a walkthrough. One and done, I always say. Like, I, I just finished... Um, the Callisto Protocol, which I really like horror video games. Mostly I like to watch them because I do get scared, <laughs> but um, I just finished the Callisto Protocol and I sold it because I was like, I did all the things. I beat the boss. Done. So that's yeah, so like, you know, branching video games, you can replay them and come out with come out with a different ending or come out with, you know, a different story, basically. But you could also watch them on YouTube. Or you could play the game. Anyway, that's I know, but that's just such a time sink. You you end up sinking so many hours into a game like that. I just like to do it the one time. Yeah, teach their own. Anyways, what video game are we discussing today? Talk about the infamous ET for e- the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. ET, the extraterrestrial. Yes, Et. cool. Not Entertainment Tonight. No. I don't think da, 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 da. I don't think that they have a video game. What would an entertainment tonight video game look like? It might look like a trivia game or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so a little bit of background on video games, and it, it, part it, excuse me, I'm just coming off a cold, so if I sound a little off, you know, just you know, have mercy. No, merciless. Our listeners are merciless. Probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, video games. Uh, so they kind of have their origin, really, in uh, and Steve will appreciate this in pinball machines. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Uh, which had been developed in the 1930s and 40s, but had been banned in numerous locales because they were seen as games of chance and therefore gambling. Yeah, which is funny because yeah, it definitely is not gambling. It's definitely yeah, just that, eating quarters. That is, I mean, a trope that has hounded video games for forever. Older people who never played them misunderstanding what they are. <laughs> Not my video games. Yeah. So, uh, so as an alternative to pinball, companies began developing what were called electromechanical games, or EM games. Mm-hmm. So, stuff like Periscope, Duck Hunt, Duck Hunt and Speedway. Okay. Uh, like, the, kind of like these big, like, not video games per se, in that you are, you know, controlling what's something on a screen, but like 
games that are using electronics to uh, enhance the experience type sure. of thing. So, okay. Uh, EM games, but they began they began to take the form of what we know uh, today as arcade cabinets. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was in this environment that Atari was founded in June 1972 by Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney. Okay, cool. Uh, Nolan Bushnell, if that name sounds familiar, also the founder of Chuck E. Cheese. Hmm, okay. Yes. He just was had all of the good ideas. It was actually a division of Atari for a little while. Really? But it was spun off, so. Interesting. Yeah, which makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. Did like you know it. that there are still actually some Chuck E. Cheese? That exist in the world. Yeah, there's one like I could walk to one. I know it's <laughs> so weird. I thought for some reason that they were not a thing anymore. They probably have experienced a downturn. I think it's because but... of Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> I just thought, or, or like Willy's Wonderland, that movie that Nick Cage was in. I think I just assumed that they went the way of the dodo no especially during the pandemic because it seems yeah, like, like chuck that, e cheese would not be a thing during the pandemic yeah that couldn't be i mean the the ball pit alone is a i'm, I'm i don't know if they have ball pits anymore well i saw a tiktok of somebody who used to be a manager at a chuck e cheese recently and i was like oh I guess they are still a thing oh yeah which i didn't know charles entertainment cheese will never die <laughs> okay that is right. his middle name. Okay. I believe you. Yeah. Good talk. Yep. Anyway, uh, one of anyway. the first successful arcade video games was Pong, developed by Atari and released in November 1972. And that is a picture of the original Pong arcade cabinet. Yeah, it looks it, just like a TV with, yep. uh, Two with some knobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very well, rudimentary. It's not buttons. They're knobs. Or, or knobs. Also, I find it interesting that it's wood paneled. Yeah. So, well, that was the height of yeah. good taste at that point in time was wood paneling. Yes. Uh, the popularity of arcade video games exploded with arcades popping up in almost every town. Uh, at the same time, though, companies began developing home console versions of their most popular games. Hmm. The first home video game console, the Magnavox Odyssey, like Magnavox, like people make TVs. Right was released in September 1972. Uh, the consoles of this first generation uh, were rudimentary with only a few games hardwired into them. Hmm. So, like, uh, when Atari released a home version of Pong, it was just Pong. Right. So, like, it wasn't like, you know, you could play, like, you know, 20 different games on it, that Pong was it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it so, was hardwired. Uh, nevertheless, sales of this first generation topped 5.5 million units. Well, I mean, it's a new thing that yeah. that it only recently was able to, you know, actually be used at home. So it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and for those of you like who don't are too familiar with video games, video game consoles, when they come out, there's there's part of like what are called generations, first gen, second gen, third gen. Right now, we're currently wrapping up the eighth gen and are in the the ninth gen. So like PS five. Xbox Series X. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Switch is... I think Switch is considered 9th gen. Because it was a little bit before the other two. But yeah, we're currently in the 9th gen. Hmm. So, just for reference. Um, home consoles took a massive technological leap forward with the second generation, starting with the launch of the Fairchild Channel F in November 1976. 
I've never even heard of that. A lot of the early ones, you, you stuff you've never heard of before. I've heard of the Magnavox one for sure, but yeah. I've, I've never in my life like, heard of uh, a Fairchild one. ColecoVision. Yeah, I've heard of ColecoVision. Yeah, but like a lot of companies that, you know, made one and then never made another one or like just kind of like dipped their toe in it. It was like, ah, eh, this isn't for us type of thing because it was still a very new market. I have a podcast recommendation to plug at the end of this thinking about ColecoVision. Okay. All right. Uh, Consoles of the second generation had CPUs that could read data from a cartridge that would be inserted into the console, which meant that uh, games no longer had to be hardwired into the console, which enabled a wide variety of games to be developed. The best. I mean, we really haven't gotten away from that. We've we've only changed it to either being a disc or being downloaded. So yeah, I would say probably the switch from uh, streaming video games or mm-hmm. downloading them without even a, a storage medium has mm-hmm. probably been maybe not an equivalent leap, but mm-hmm. something of akin to that. Because even like just going from a cartridge to a disc, mm-hmm. that's just changing the the media. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So like this is big. Uh, it's a big deal. Yeah. The most successful console of the generation was the Atari 2600, released in September 1977. Uh, There's a picture of it. I have seen them before. Yeah. Steve uh, works at a used media store um, here in our hometown, and they see them every so often. Yeah, I mean, I know they're vintage ones. I know they've been re-released at various points. There's yeah, a so. big resurgence in physical media right now, like as as a reaction, I think personally to the um, to the limitations Stream. of streaming, the limitations of downloadable games and things like that, and yeah. um, like <clears throat> the per month um, the per month subscriptions subscriptions that you can get. Um, so there's been like this huge resurgence, and also now kids, well adults now that were children during that period of time are really hitting that nostalgia button. Yep. So, and then they're wanting to introduce their children or their grandchildren to this sort of introduction to video games. So yeah, they I'm see just, a lot of the 2600. Just waiting for the Dreamcast to make a comeback in about five, 10 years. No, because it'll cause a brownout because it, <laughs> The world up, explode. <laughs> yeah, it sucks up way too much energy. So oh, I don't God. think that's going to happen. I have a soft spot for the Sega Dreamcast. Yeah, that thing. Uh, you, you put a you put a game in that fire that thing. I always sound like it's getting ready to explode on you. Yeah, uh, I think uh, safety's overrated. Safety's overrated. It is. I think um, that more people probably have an affinity for the Genesis. Yeah, probably, although that was a little bit like a hair before my, before yeah. I started playing video games, so. My babysitter, when I was a kid, had a Genesis, and I played a couple of times on it, but my hands are very small, and the Genesis controllers were always way too big. Yeah. Um, I actually struggled with the N64 for a long time. Everybody struggled that, 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 that controller design is atrocious. Yeah. Um. But yeah, my my first my first forays were the NES and the SNES, um, and that was the only that those were the only systems I personally owned mm. until the PlayStation Two, when my brother was a kid. 
my first one, like my stepdad, he had a, when he came into the picture, he had a Sega Saturn mm-hmm. and a PS1. Yeah. Um, Wasn't Saturn attached to the Genesis, though? It was I guess a you could get reiteration it. of it, basically. But Yeah. Um, well, Saturn was disc-based, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was yeah. kind of the next thing, and it didn't work out too well. But yeah. um, we, uh, It was I, ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah. Um, my first one was a, well, like my, like first, like my console was an N64. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a Dreamcast. He had a PS2, but, and then I've had every iteration of Xbox since they've come out, so. Yeah. So we definitely were not old enough to have a 2600. No. no. I never, I never owned an Atari myself. No, I didn't either. Uh, but anyway, um. Uh, Prior year, 1976, Atari had been purchased by Warner Communications, which present-day Warner Media, so uh-huh. like Warner Brothers, DC, HBO, mm-hmm. all that jazz. Uh, internal disputes led to the ouster of Bushnell in 1979 and his replacement by Ray Kasser, who had no history with the industry. Oh, boy. Which always bodes well. When, yeah. you, f- when like, you buy a company, you fire the guy who founded it, and bring in somebody who, like, I think Kasser's previous experience was like in textiles. So they were like, well, you can if you can run a textile yeah, like, company, then you like, can run like, a video game Let's company. have the guy who ran Burlington Coat Factory make video games for us. Yes. Uh, I agree. Kasser began pushing the Atari developers to create games that could tie into movies released by Warner, like the 1979 game adaptation of Superman. Oh, okay. Um, and all the while, Atari's dominance of the arcade business continued. Uh, Asteroids was released in November 1979 and sold over 70,000 cabinets. Asteroid is fun. I'm not really big on arcade games so myself, so... It's fun to dabble. They're frustrating, though. That's Those are the type of games that you really have to practice all the time in order to get good yeah. at. I don't have patience for it. Caster's leadership, however, alienated many programmers, and several of them departed the company. Mm, that in makes ni- sense. In 1979, four of those programmers founded Activision. Uh, yep. Yep. Still began, a thing today. Yep. And began developing games for the 2600. Atari sued Activision, but settled out of court, with Activision agreeing to pay a fee for every game they developed for the 2600. And that they makes sense. became the first successful third-party developer, because up to this point, only Atari could develop games for the atari console Mm -hmm. or like they would develop home versions of arcade games that they would license from somebody else sure like namco or somebody right which to a degree makes sense because it's like you know this is our product we are the only ones who are going to make supplementary products for it but uh this kind of opened the path for independent developers to become a thing so like you know it'd be the equivalent of microsoft could only make things for the xbox sony can only make plays things for the playstation which would be very limiting yeah uh, and this also probably um creates a market for overseas games to come into the picture we'll get on that a little bit okay um so like you begin having these third-party developers and they start creating their own games some of which are cheaper Mm-hmm. than the games that Atari itself is putting out. So just kind of ah, keep that in mind. I see. So negative competition. Yeah, I in see. a way. In a way. Uh, okay. As the 2600 continued to sell well, Atari began development of its intended successor. The result was the Atari 400-800, uh, 
basically the name of it. There's two versions of it. Right. One's four hundred dollars. One's eight hundred dollars. Oh, so they, yeah. Hopefully which, the twenty six hundred. It was not. No, okay. no, no. It was much cheaper than that. I was like, wow. Uh, like one hundred fifty, I think. Okay. I, I mean, at the time, it was still expensive. Yeah. Though. Uh, which those were meant to also serve as a personal computer system, mm-hmm. directly competing with the Apple II. I remember this. This is the one that you could type in. Yeah, it okay. basically look at it. Look, just looks just like a keyboard. Right. Okay. But there's a computer in there. Right. And you just you know plug it into your TV or something, and you do your stuff with it. It, it was also intended to also serve as a video game console. Right. And but the games that you play for that one, you have to actually type your commands and stuff in. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, the first versions of the product were released in November 1979. The cheaper price point of the 2600 led to continued sales of that console over the 400 and 800. So, this thing, it's being released, but 2600 is still... Far superior. Yeah, the thing. In March 1982, the 2600 version of the arcade game Pac-Man was released. Uh-oh. Despite poor critical reception and being an overall inferior product compared to the arcade version... Pac-Man sold over 8 million units on the 2600, becoming the most successful game for the console. Wow. Well, it's it's a catchy game. I, I feel like it's something where older folks can't understand it. They don't understand like the obsession with it. But it is so difficult. I can count on one hand the number of times I've passed the second level on that game. I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've played it. I mean, it's not for everybody. No. It's a challenging game. Um, See, like, I, I need a game with a plot. <laughs> there is a plot. Escape from the ghosts. Have No. Eat the ghosts. Or whatever, whatever the hell it is. Ha- haven't you ever seen like the Act 1, Act 2 stories? No. Okay. Well, there's... I think it it might be on Miss Pac-Man. I'm not sure. But there there are little stories in between them. Yeah. Don't be a Debbie Downer on Pac-Man, okay? It's fun. Fun for others. Okay. Um, the quality of the game, though, made many hesitant to rush to buy for their games. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, oh, well, I mean, this isn't as good as the arcade version. Why am I forking out money for this hmm. when I could also just go to the arcade and play it? Sure. And also, they're starting to become cheaper games from the third-party people. Mm-hmm. So, party people. <laughs> um <laughs> Now, at this time, Atari was at its zenith. It was responsible for over half of Warner's revenue. Holy crap. The revenue was $2.9 billion. So Atari itself, responsible for like over like $1.5 billion in revenue. I didn't know that it was that it was owned by Warner. That's so strange. Well, that's what I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I know. It's just strange to yeah. think that they owned a video game. I mean, now they own... I mean, they have their own developer and publisher now yeah but it's just weird yeah i don't do they own rocksteady i don't know if they own rocksteady but i do know they develop like all the harry potter games yeah and of course a lot of the dc games yeah but um it's just no i think they'll never realm oh like mortal kombat which now like and like you know injustice which is basically just mortal Mortal kombat Kombat with with superheroes So. And that also makes sense as to why the more recent Mortal Kombat games have had, like... Movie characters. So many cameos from other movies. You could finally have Terminator vs. Robocop. <laughs> Is that real? There was, like, yeah, like, back in the day, I think... Wasn't there a Terminator vs. Robocop game, I think? For some if... console, I don't remember. Or a comic book, I don't remember. I don't know. 
But, uh, yeah, yeah, there was a Terminator vs. Robocop video game. Um, and you didn't, you don't have it currently? No, I don't. I told you, I don't really like arcade style games or fighting games like that, so. That would be the one that I could see you, like, really concentrating on and trying to beat other people in. I will gladly have a debate on who would win Terminator or Robocop, and I can point out, uh, pros and cons for both but that's a that's a that's a podcast for another time oh, i see anyway okay. this is uh i looked it up i looked it was called robocop versus the terminator um and it came out in and it 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 was not terminator 2 it was just the first terminator um and there was a Mega Drive Genesis version, oh, and then there was an SNES version and an NES version. Huh. Um, but the NES version was never released. Huh. So, anyways. Uh, by 1982, Atari had sold over 10 million 2600s. No competitor had sold over 1 million. Wow. So it is utterly dominant. Atari held about 58% of the market. Like one company. It's like quasi-monopoly almost. Yeah. Well, um, they got out there first. So. Well, not us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were had a head start, but like, yeah. this is. And if yeah. they got their production stuff in it, you know, their ducks in yeah. a row, then makes it easier. Yeah. Uh, they were starting to face increased competition, though. Uh, ColecoVision had licensed a home version of Donkey Kong, helping it to snag about 17% of the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atari also moved forward with releasing the another successor to the 2600, the 5200. Did not cost $5,200, no, I hope. No, 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 <laughs> Uh For the holiday season of 1982. Okay. They're going to release this. Uh, it's almost like um, like the last gen, uh, like PS4 and PS4 Pro. Mm-hmm. So it's just Xbox got some One, extra. Xbox One X. Yeah, it's just got some extra yeah, features. Yeah, like, like the mid-generation upgrade. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, but but the problem... Well, we'll come to some problems with it later. Okay. Uh, but needing a smash hit, Atari began casting about for ideas. Mm-hmm. This is where I got to talk about E.T. Extraterrestrial. Uh-huh. Et. Um, <laughs> Steven Spielberg began formulating what become E.T. the Extraterrestrial in 1978. Uh, a script was written by Melissa Matheson, who would next year marry Harrison Ford, uh, after Spielberg finished filming Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1980 and 81. Spielberg, matchmaker galore. Yeah. It's weird to think about Harrison Ford's wife wrote E.T. Are they still married? No, no, no. This is, this is his wife before Close to Flockhart. Oh. I don't know anything about Harrison Ford's love life, except for when he was Indiana Jones and also Han Solo. That's about it. And the affair he had with Carrie Fisher. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah. 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 That's when he was married to his first wife. He <laughs> says that that's not real, but... She wrote pretty pretty heavily about it in that book. What? You ever watch an interview with Harrison Ford? No. It's just. Is he just mad about? He's being very interviewed? grumbly. Oh. He's very just like mumbly and just like. I've heard he's not like he's kind of a curmudgeon. Yeah, but he's also eighty, so he's wrecked too many planes. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um. Uh, after securing backing from Universal Pictures, filming began in September 1981 and concluded that November. So very brisk. Like, it's like done in like 60 days. Wow. That's pretty fast. Yeah. 
Uh, the film was released on June 11th, 1982, opening at number one at the U.S. box office. Of course. It would be in the number one spot for 17 weeks. Everybody loves a movie with an alien and a yeah. little kid. Uh, Andrew not, Barrymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, not consecutively, but like just over the remaining year, like just fall out of number one, come back to number one. Yeah. People were like, wow, this yeah. movie sucks. And it, rena- it remained in the top five for 27 weeks. Whew. Like, it's just sheer dominance. Like, even, like, you know, Avengers Endgame wasn't that dominant at the box office. Like, no movie nowadays is that dominant at the box office. Yeah. So. I'm going to look up really quick what other movies were. So, 82 uh, probably would have been competing with uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if that would be considered competition. Uh, Star Wars, some probably, I think they re-released it in... 82, oh, just to make some money. Here's some other movies that were at the box office. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Still. Uh, Rocky Three. Yeah. An Officer and a Gentleman. Porky's. <laughs> uh, Wrath of Khan. Poltergeist. Uh, yeah, but I think Poltergeist came out like a week before, a week after this or something. Like, supposedly with Poltergeist. The week before. This so- was June 11th. Uh yeah, June 11th. I know, I know Poltergeist has that uh, legend that Spielberg secretly directed it. Yeah. Because he wasn't supposed to, like, at the same time as doing this. So. Right. I don't know. I feel like people don't give Toby Hooper enough credit. He's he's a talented filmmaker. Oh, no, I agree, but I know there's always that... that... Rumor. Yeah. Uh, Raiders came out the day after E.T., June 12th. Raiders came out in 81. Not 82. Release, release date says... 19, 1982, June 12th, 1982. No, it came out in 81. Okay. Anyways, Rocky Three, Porky's, Star Trek Two, Poltergeist, Annie, <laughs> uh, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, Crom. <laughs> Friday the 13th. Crom laughs at you, full wins. Friday the 13th, Part Three. Uh, a lot of these movies. Hey, the I Lamentation never... of the Women. Tron. Yeah, I love Tron. Blade Runner. Yeah. Bambi. <laughs> oh, sorry. That <laughs> was a re-release. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Creep Show. So, yeah. Lots, uh, the Thing, which, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, on a budget of $10.5 million, the film would gross $794.9 million. Jeez. Yeah. In 1983, it would pass Star Wars as the highest-grossing film ever, holding that spot until Spielberg's own Jurassic Park in 1993. I mean, we're going a little bit forward past the time we're talking about here, but I just got to reiterate how dominant it was. Over 15 million E.T. dolls were sold in 1982, making it the most successful toy of the holiday season. I've seen so many of those in in the flea markets and thrift stores. Hopefully they've lasted better than the original puppet. No. <laughs> nope. Nope. Zero percent. I mean, because everybody tried to throw them in the washer, and that's like the number one thing you can't do well, with a stuffed puppet, animal. The original puppet, it's like the latex is like gone. It's just like the frame of it, and it's frightening. Oh, yeah. They, they didn't take good care of that. No. Uh, Hershey saw revenue increases 65% attributed to the prominence of Reese's Pieces in the film. I love Reese's Pieces. Like, Mars, they declined, per, like, they refused to give permission for them to use M&M's. That was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, it was a mistake. I mean, M&M's are still yeah. dominant in the market. But, I but... mean, yeah. 
Uh, Kuwahara sold BMX bikes like the ones in the film. Mm-hmm. Sold a lot of them. After screening at the United Nations in September 1982, Spielberg was awarded the UN Peace Medal. Okay. At the 55th Academy Awards, E.T. was nominated for nine Oscars, including Best Picture, and won four. Because the Academy will nominate science fiction films, but they won't give them anything. <laughs> well, they did win four, though. Was Pro- it like, well, like special effects? Well, well, the ones that sci-fi films always win, like special effects, or editing, or sound effects. They don't win any, like, they don't win the meaty prizes. Yeah. So... I think the only one I can think of is, like, Sigourney Weaver won Best Actress for Aliens. Cody is pretty salty at the Academy. How do you give Best Picture to a Woody Allen movie over Star Wars? Anyways. Reese's Pieces. How? E.T. was, like, my brother's favorite movie when we were kids, and he watched it probably every day. Which is hilarious because I never saw the movie all the way through until I was an adult. Yeah, it was recently. It was like last year, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. With the massive hype over the film, Warner wanted a piece of the pie. Of they're course. looking they're looking over like Universal's raking in some big money over there and a lot of a lot of merch sales. Like, we got this product here. Let's let, let's maybe get in on this. Number one thing we love the most? Money. money. <laughs> Shortly after E.T.'s release, Warner's CEO and our rapper Steve Ross, no, not the son of Bob Ross, began negotiations with Spielberg over the video game rights. Okay. Uh, and I'll show you a picture of him. Just, you know, generic old businessman. Yep. You could have told me that that was anybody in the world, and I would have believed you. Ted yeah. Turner? Sure. Ross had asked Cassar for his input, which he gave, quote, I think it's a dumb idea. We've never really made an action game out of a movie, end quote. Yeah. The deal was completed anyway. On July 27th, 1982, with Atari paying approximately $25 million for the rights, an unheard of amount for the time. Yeah, holy crap. So they're going to have to sell a lot of these just to make their money back. Yep. And part of the deal was that the game had to be ready for the 1982 holiday season with a completion deadline of September 1st, just six weeks. Holy crap. (laughs) By comparison, the 2600 version of Raiders of the Lost Ark took about six months. Yeah. Developing video games is hard and takes a lot of time. Yes. There's the infamous box art for the film. I've I've actually seen the box art before. Yeah. People people like to have this in their collection now, even if the game was notoriously terrible. Yeah. Cassar uh, assigned development to H- Howard Scott Warshaw, who had developed the successful Yars Revenge game for the 2600. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warshaw took the short time frame as a challenge, because it's like, what, what else can you do? <laughs> yeah, some people work best under pressure. Yeah. Some people blame him for it. It's like, it's not your fault, bud. Yeah. Like, it's... Your boss gave you this assignment, and you did the best you could. Yeah. Atari, thinking that the game would be a surefire success, skipped consumer testing. Ooh. Yeah. Number one mistake. In anticipation of high demand, over four million cartridges were produced. Ooh. Boy. Yeah. That's a lot. The game was released in December 1982. Initially, nothing seemed to miss. By the end of 1982, however, 
E.T. had sold over 2.6 million copies mm-hmm. out of the 4 million they made. Ooh, so they still have almost a third. Yeah, it's still in stock. Oh, boy. However, approximately 670,000 copies would be returned in 1983. Oh, my gosh. Simultaneously, Atari had released the 5200. Mm-hmm. Now, those problems I mentioned earlier, Yeah. it was developed using the software or the hardware for the 400 and 800. Mm-hmm. And it was not backward compatible with 2600 games. That is one of the most frustrating things about video games yes. is that they're not always backwards compatible. Like, and that was a big thing when the uh, Xbox One came out is that initially they were like, uh, but, you know, they were asked about backwards compatibility and like, and they him hauled about it mm-hmm. to find out like initially like it wasn't going to be right. I and remember that. That was like there was a huge, a huge cr- like yeah. That almost made me it. like all right. I should consider switching to PlayStation. You should have. You still should just, have. Just, just, like, I pipe down. I have my preferences. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's like, why is that not? Like, why would that not be like you know? Okay, our new heart, our our new stuff, should be able to read the old stuff. Definitely, because people still have the old stuff, right? And they don't want to have. To take up the real estate for two yeah. entirely separate systems and then having to buy a new version of the same game with yeah. no additional updates. Yeah, like, you know, like they've done with, like, GTA Five and Skyrim. It's like, they've literally, this is literally the third generation in a row where they've re- released them for the new consoles. It's like... But they did remaster Skyrim. They did, but... I will say just... that. Like, Skyrim now is much different than It's just like Skyrim another way to make, oh, here, give me 70 more dollars. Yeah, they don't have... A... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Between the failures of the, 20, the 5200 and ET, Atari reported a loss of $536 million in 1983. Holy God. They went from, like, a billion and a half of revenue to half a billion in losses. Jeesh. Uh... With the perceived lack of quality from first-party developers and the cheaper knockoffs from third-party developers, fewer and fewer people forked out money for games or consoles. Mm-hmm. And they're not, and you know, word of mouth does spread. They're of not going to fork out money, right, for a game that is utter garbage. And there are magazines and periodicals and stuff. Oh yeah, that yeah, are, yeah. I mean, you know, talking about this exactly, and upset about it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, many publishers went out of business. Uh, leading stores to severely discount existing inventory, leading to further depression in the market. Rut row. And now it's like, well, we can't return these cartridges to anybody. We're going to just mark these down. You know, prices slashed. Uh, many of Atari's competitors left the market, like Magnavox and Valley. Right. Atari itself was broken up. The home computing and console divisions were sold in 1985, eventually merging with Hasbro's video game division. Mm-hmm. And then reforming itself as Atari, which like the, like the modern-day Atari, that's where it comes from. Right. The games division, the part that actually made the video games, uh, was sold to Namco in 1985, eventually ending up as part of Midway Games. Mm-hmm. Famous for, like, you know, FL2K, you know, right. that sort of stuff. Which I love those games. Uh, before closing in 2003. Mm-hmm. The video game industry, which had been so dominant, entered into freefall. The $3.2 billion industry of 1982 became the $100 million industry of 
Wow. Well, there were more and more arcades. You didn't have as much of a startup cost to go to an arcade. Well, arcades also take a hit at the same time. Hmm. Because, remember, like, so a lot of these video games, like, the, like Atari made a lot of the ca- the cabinets. Right. And they're not being, they don't have as much money to put into new ones anymore. Hmm. So they're not really new variety. Product. Plus, at the same time, there was, of course, the 80s, the moral panics of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Oh, arcades, they're just a place to go and do drugs. Yep. I so mean, you, so you not see, wrong. like, like, well, I mean, I'm just kidding. But, like, the golden age of arcades, like, they kind of take a downturn after this. Like, a tenth of arcades in the United States close around this time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they don't do well either. It's because of those darn wheelie boards. Yeah. Everybody was skateboarding instead. Yeah. So, like, it, it wasn't solely E.T. the game that blew up the industry but it was the icing on the cake right uh because like it was such a failure for the company that had like you know a good you know two-thirds of the market when that company blows up it's gonna you know shatter the industry sure right um and et being the biggest movie of 1982 and then that video game being such a huge letdown yeah it's going to take the wind out of a lot of kids' sails. Yeah, and they're going to just get a, a lot of parents are just be like, if this is what we're going to get, why are we going to pay for it? Right. We're not paying 60 bucks for yeah. a crappy cartridge that my kid plays for four hours and then There's throws away. With, yeah. The clearing of the console field gave room for new players in the industry to enter the console market in 1985. Nintendo and Sega. Yep. The third generation of video game consoles begin a domination of the market by Japanese manufacturers that has really never gone away. Mm-hmm. To this day, they still are the dominant for Like, two of the three big uh, console manufacturers are Japanese companies. Right. Nintendo has never... No. I mean, they took, they've took they taken a couple of hits, but they've never not been yeah. in the top five. Yeah, like Wii U wasn't a big success. GameCube wasn't, you know, but, yeah. you know... They always bounce back. Yeah. Uh, Nintendo's NES would be the best-selling video game console until Sony's PlayStation, which was released in 1994. Mm-hmm. So it, the NES was the best-selling console for about a decade. Right. No American or no console from an American company would top the 30 million uh, Atari 2600 units sold until. Do you want to take a guess? Which console hit 30 million from an American company? I have no idea. No American console would top the 30 million until Microsoft's Xbox 360, which was mm. released in 2005. Wow. Over 20, it would take over 20 years for an American console manufacturer to top 30 million units sold. Yeah, the reason why they uh why they top 30 million is because 10 million of those red ringed, so they had to buy new ones. Probably. <laughs> 360 was notorious for hardware, software, everything Never malfunctioning. Never had a problem with mine. Yeah, well, you're one of the only people <laughs> I know who had a 360 who didn't have to buy four of them. I had to buy an extra one. Anyways, they're, they're notorious. Like, now people don't even touch them with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, because it's two consoles out of date. <laughs> the NES and the SNES both work fantastically still the 360 you look at it wrong and it red rings anyways that was garbage uh in september 1983 
Atari dumped much of its excess excess inventory at a landfill in the New Mexico desert outside Alamogordo. Rumored to be amongst the dumped material were millions of unsold copies of E.T. The oddity of the action, along with its relative secrecy and remote location, led led to it becoming an urban legend. Yeah. Like, people heard uh, rumors that there's millions of E.T.s buried out in the desert. And, and like, it's such means... it's such a weird story that of yeah. course it would persist. Yeah, people would think that like, nah, that's made up. Yeah, but Until... it's, so, it's so odd. Yeah, yeah. Until in April 2014, an excavation of the site revealed the veracity of the rumors. <laughs> Among the thousands of cartridges found were several copies of ET. I think there was an entire documentary about this. There absolutely was. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So. It's just like, it's literally just like, bury all your problems. And also, horrible ecological waste. Oh, yeah. Like, and hide. my God. <laughs> You're hiding them, basically. Yeah. It's like, these cartridges and these consoles, it's like, you know, they're not, not exactly biodegradable. They're hiding their shame. Yeah. Also, though, whenever they dumped these, was probably before anybody cared care well not necessarily cared but before corporations were getting blowback yeah. from these types of decisions well this is also like you know the reagan era so it's not like the environment was right a concern exactly so yeah <sighs> yeah so that is that is the story of et the video game r.i.p yep uh, all those thrown away copies yep i yeah i found uh bunch of my, my grandmother passed away recently found a bunch of the old 2600 games that she'd had for her eldest grandchildren like my my oldest cousins and one of them was et yeah you should have kept it we would have taken a picture and put it on social media for the release or i gonna put it <laughs> i don't care um <laughs> could have just taken a picture of it yeah oh well <laughs> okay uh, sources used, uh, Douglas Brody, the films of Steven Spielberg from 95, uh, John Hubner and William Kister, uh, their article, uh, What Went Wrong at Atari from InfoWorld from December 1983, Stephen Kent, The Ultimate History of Video Games from 2001, Kurt Vindel and Marty Goldberg, Atari Inc., Business is Fun from 2012, and an article from Associated Press from 2014 about the, uh, finding of the E.T. games in the landfill. Great. So. Cool. Uh, the tiny uh, podcast plug that I wanted to say, uh, because you mentioned ColecoVision, there's a uh, episodic fiction podcast called Rabbits. Um, it's super mega famous, so if you just look up Rabbits podcast, you'll be able to find it. Uh, I believe there are three seasons. There's a tie-in novel. There are spinoffs that are in the works. Um, and it's about video games and mysteries in the Pacific Northwest. So it's fun. I like it a lot. If you like... Scripted fiction podcast. It's for you. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about next time? Uh, we're keeping it with a lighthearted tone. And okay. we're returning to a topic that I love and adore. That I could talk about every day for the rest of my life. And put you to sleep over. The Civil War? No. American history? No. Well, Star I mean, Wars? Technically American history, but... Star Wars? No. Star Trek? No. What 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 do I love that involves a stick? Baseball. Yes. Great. Yes, we're returning to baseball. Okay. And the infamous source 
the curse of the Bambino. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, baseball curses. It's so funny. They're that a you, thing. They're but, a thing, America. They exist. It's so funny that you love baseball so much, but you just recently watched The Sandlot for the first time. Like, one of the quintessential baseball movies of all time with James Earl Jones. It checks so many boxes for you. Yeah. It was slept on. Maybe it's just one of those things you just miss. I mean, I've seen countless other baseball movies that are great. Not like their that own, one. The Natural, The Rookie. Bull Durham, and the best the the best baseball movie, Field of Dreams. Yeah, incorrect. No, Sandlot's I am, better. I know I am completely correct. Sandlot's better. No, Field of Dreams. Okay, I thought it was boring. Sorry, because you have no soul. <laughs> While that may be true, Field of Dreams is also boring. No. Anyways, so it makes me cry. Next time, baseball. Yes. Be ready. Please be sure to check out our other projects, The Drunken Pawn, where we play board games and drink on YouTube, uh, Attack of the Final Girls, my sister podcast project with my lovely pod wife, Juliet, where we talk about horror movies. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WeFedUp, no spaces. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And this is We, we Effed Up. Up.